What's going on and welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Happy Monday. Happy Valentine's Day as the Pelicans will begin the week at home here, continuing their six-game homestand as they welcome in the Toronto Raptors. My Valentine on today's podcast is Mark Spears, senior oh. NBA writer for the Undefeated. Happy Where's Valentine's my damn Day, chocolate, Mark. Man. Where's my chocolate? Where's my roses? I, I ain't getting nothing. You didn't get in the mail yet? They're on their way. Don't worry. Probably They're on their way. It's probably melted by now, man. It's early, man. It's only 9.45 where you uh, are right now. You got to give uh, it some hey, time. I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the UPS truck, brother. Okay. Good to, good to <laughs> talk to you. Of course, the focus today for us is going to be CJ McCollum. Uh, as everyone knows by now, the Pelicans acquired CJ last week before the trade deadline. And I know that was one of the trades that was buzzing around the NBA and, and Mark. Um, what were your initial thoughts when you heard the news that CJ was heading to New Orleans? Well, you know, you, you think about Josh, and and he certainly has made an impact in New Orleans, uh, playing for the Pelicans since he's been there. But in CJ, um, and I'm I'm gonna separate the two. Let me just okay. let me go back and just say with CJ, you're getting somebody that is not only a great player, but is, is an amazing person, um, and very very bright, and and. I I've enjoyed getting to know him from the moment he's walked into the NBA. He's a journalism major, right? At Lehigh. And so let's go off the court first about him. Um, He started a program called CJ's press pass in Portland, which I would, I, I hope new Orleans people ask him to bring it to new Orleans. This cool program where he basically mentors a bunch of high school students and and brings them to games and let them ask questions like, uh, you know, potential future journalists. And sure. so there was a, a, a friend of mine whose um, nephew lives in Portland and is aspiring photographer. And he, he went into uh, CJ's press pass, like wrote him a letter because he lived outside the area. CJ got him in, young black photographer, and it has done wonders for him. Like he gets to shoot Blazers games now. He's a college student, but because of this program, he's made some great inroads. He's met um, Andy Bernstein, the greatest NBA photographer ever, who's in the Hall of Fame because of this program. And they actually interviewed him on TV um, after CJ got uh, traded, and he's like, he changed my life. So CJ is like that kind of dude, like he, he's, he has that kind of impact on the community. He also, I mean, me being a big wine guy, he's not only, a, he has his own wine. Yep. He has his own wine. Uh, it's called McCullum. I forgot the whole name of it, but he actually has bought land to start his own winery. So it, it, it's deeper than just having like a lot of athletes have their own wine or their own liquor or something. He actually has bought land to start his own winery. And so he's, 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 he's in the beginning stages of that progress process. Um, you know, which means maybe he'll live in Portland in the off season to continue that work, but he's just an extraordinary smart guy, great guy that I think the city of New Orleans will fall in love with uh, as a person, let alone as a basketball player. As a basketball player, 
He's played in the Western Conference Finals. He's played in big games. He's been an amazing number two to Damon Lillard. Um, but when it's time for some big shots to be made too, he can hit those shots too. Um, makes everybody better. Delight in the locker room. True professional. Like, I don't know. I know I'm hyping him up. But I don't know if you could get somebody that's as good as a person on and off the court as him. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying, you know, we've, we've heard some rumblings about the type of guy he is, but some of those stories you just mentioned certainly yeah. solidify that for him. And I know on the court right now, they're 0-2 since acquiring him, but it is going to take a little bit of time implementing him. But how do you see him fitting? And I know that the whole compliment is not there with Zion Williamson not being back yeah. yet. So we can kind of talk about how he fits right now with this team as they try to get into that play and, and how potentially he fits with B.I. and Zion yeah. when Zion's able to go. How does that – how do you think he fits in? Uh, I mean, I at this point, I'm starting to lose faith on Zion coming back this season, right? Um, and I don't want to speak for the franchise or say I know anything, but I, I think it's probably better to speak with him and B.I. right now. Um, right. You know, we're, we're 60% of the way through the season and Zion's not back yet and doesn't sound, seem like there's uh, any light at the end of the tunnel either there, right? So um, I think Brandon probably certainly needs him, uh, needs a co-star. Um, the team is young, has a lot of good young talent, but they're not, it, it takes time, right? It, sure. It, it, it takes time to be uh, a star, and CJ is that. So it, it, to me, it takes a lot of pressure off of BI, especially in the perimeter. You can't just focus on him. It's kind of in the same, you know, vein as with Garland and, and Cleveland. And uh, how Karis LeVert is probably going to take a lot of pressure off of him on the perimeter. I think the same thing happens. Um, and so, and then you got another, like now at the end of a game, you can't just assume that Brandon's taking a shot. B.I.'s taking a shot. I mean, C.J. could hit that shot, too. So, yeah, I mean, midseason trades are hard because you didn't have them in camp, right? The person has to fit in. And oftentimes, you don't really know the true impact until the next season. Like, the Lakers fooled you when they got Pau Gasol, and they were able to go to the finals that second half of the season with Pau. Um, in 2008, I believe. But in this situation, like, you know, you, you just got to keep treading water, keep your head above water and hope that in a couple weeks they they gel and make, make that push to get in the play in or to land a, you know, playoff spot is probably not really likely, but playing is certainly likely. And the Memphis Grizzlies showed you that what you can get in, once you get in, no telling what could happen. Um, happen. So, like, I was just on a podcast in Sacramento, and they're, like, in the same boat as New Orleans. Like, they're mm -hmm. trying to get that play-in game. And it was funny. I was saying, you know, it's actually not out of the realm of possibility that, like, Sacramento and New Orleans could be playing together. Right. Like, in a 9-10 game, which would be, like, I don't know who hosts that game, but for either franchise, I'd be, like, I think that'd be pretty cool. I would excite, be excited for both franchises. But looking long-term, let's just, just assume Zion's playing next season. Um, that's a that's a heck of a trio right there, boy. 
that's a heck of a trio to build around. Maybe you get some more veterans to go with them to, to even out some of the younger players. But I, I thought that was a, a, a mammoth pickup for, the, for New Orleans. I'm glad you mentioned Sacramento because it brings me to my next question of when you're looking at now the landscape for the Western Conference playing ahead of the Pelicans, which probably need to win yeah. some games before talking about the Lakers and the Clippers there at nine and eight, even though they're yeah. three or four games out of the loss column from them. But looking behind, and I know right now the Pelicans are a half game behind Portland yeah. for the 10th spot between Portland, and it seems like they might be going in a different direction. They got a win against New York, yeah. but between Sacramento and San Antonio right now, too, who had a big win against the Pelicans on Saturday. Yeah. Where are you seeing as a Pelican's potential biggest threat as who could keep them out of that play? And if you're looking at the standing stay and look at how some yeah. teams, I mean, the Kings at the deadline getting Sabonis obviously changed the game for them. Spurs yeah. getting rid of Derek White, but they continue to win no matter what the situation is. Yeah. What, what team could be the biggest threat for the Pelicans as far as getting into that play in? Well, I mean, the Clippers just got a big injury, right? Right. I want, I like, at what point do the Clippers say, all right, let's, Let's wait, worry about next season. Right? right. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers drop, the Lakers go up, and that the ninth and tenth spot ends up um, being between. I, I think Portland's going to drop too. Um, that New Orleans, Sacramento, and and the Pelicans um, end up being in a battle royal, maybe for those ninth and tenth spots. You know what I mean? I, I, I could see that happening. Um, San Antonio, you just, they're not playing great, but they're not playing bad. They're in the middle, you know, split the last 10 games. Sacramento's playing better. Like Sabonis was a nice pickup for him. I mean, how, losing Halliburton was huge, but you got to give up something to get something. I, I could see Sacramento moving up. Um, same, same with New Orleans. So um, I think like Minnesota, I think they'll continue to get better and win, but Sacramento just beat them. Yep. Um, Clippers drop, Lakers move up. But, you know, once you get in that 9-10 game, like I said, that, like to me, that's the thing. Like once you – teams like the Pelicans and the Kings are going to continue to get better the remainder of the season because they're working in new guys, right? So you just hope that by the time – you get to the postseason that there is a playing game and Memphis has showed you that you could get in the playoffs that way. It's, it's not, I actually think it benefits a team like New Orleans and Sacramento because there's not really a lot of pressure, right? If you lose, right. you lose, but if you win, like Memphis came to chase center last year in San Francisco and put a lot of pressure on the Warriors and end up winning an overtime game and got in the postseason. So, just get there. <laughs> yeah. Just get there, and you hope that you're the ninth ninth seed. Because I don't even remember who Memphis played. Do you remember the first game? Was it the Spurs? The Spurs was it Spurs? Maybe it was San Antonio. Nine yeah. ten. Yeah. So they beat them, and then they ended up beating the Warriors. Right. So just get in there and figure out the rest later. Right. Yeah. But, Considering where the Pelicans started, like to get into a playing game without Zion would be pretty, pretty amazing. A couple more questions for you. I want to talk about the playing just in general. We've seen it kind of, you know, besides the bubble, kind of be a trend here the last couple of seasons. Are you a fan of it? Do you feel like they should continue to do this? 
I mean, how many teams now, especially looking at the deadline, how many teams made moves like Sacramento, like New Orleans? I know they're thinking long-term too, but using these this opportunity to get into the play-in and how you're battling not only to get in, but now you're battling the host to play in at number nine. If you're number nine, you're trying to get into yeah. seven, eight, because if you lose, you get to play another game. Yeah. Or if you're seven, you get to host a play-in as well. How much do you like the play-in and do you think it's here to stay? I don't love it. I initially thought you would be completely honest that they did it to try to get Zion into the postseason <laughs> in the bubble. That was a, that was a perception. Is it reality? I'm not sure, but that yes. certainly was perception. Um, I think it's here to stay. The risk for television, as it's funny because I mentioned it to somebody because remember the, the Hall of Fame last year was in the spring, mm-hmm. right? It was delayed. And I remember telling some NBA ESPN ex- executives, I'm like, you could potentially lose LeBron or Steph Curry in the playoffs by doing this. Yeah. Because I said they could very well be seven or eight, but if they something goes wrong in the playing game, yeah, like that Lakers, uh, Lakers Warriors game drew real well, but you know, the Warriors end up getting eliminated and you don't get a whole series with the Warriors, right? I think it might have been Warriors Jazz or something like that yeah. in the first round. Um, but so I, I actually feel bad for the seventh and eighth seed teams. You know what I mean? Because if they, what if they have an injury, right? Like, what if that, I mean, that could play a role in, you know, what happens to them, them getting eliminated, like what happened to the Warriors, right? You know, um, it's so hard getting but, that top but, six, but if too. You're the, if for the ninth and 10th team, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it gives you, it gets you in the game, and what happens, happens. You know what I mean? And it, and it gives, like somebody was saying, and I was talking to some folks in Toronto, they're like, that should count as playoff statistics. Right. Like the playing, I don't know about that. I don't know that I agree with that. It should be considered playoff statistics. It should be considered play-in statistics, right? Right, because it doesn't count as regular season statistics. Yeah. They don't count it as playoffs. It just have its own, as time passes, there'll be more playing games. So they, but I, I don't, I don't like it, but I don't hate it. Like it's it it ends up being a pretty interesting. I just feel like, but what it does do is you know like I don't think every team that's seven and eight. If you're seven or eight, you're not trying to be seven or eight, man. Like something probably no. happened for you to be there. Yeah. And so, does it stop tank? I think it's cool because it gives a team like New Orleans who may have lost a major player had some major injuries or a team like Sacramento who hasn't been in the playoffs since 16, like something to strive for, something to hope for. I remember as a kid growing up, watch, living in the Bay area, growing up watching the Warriors, I used to be like, Oh man, they're like three games out with a month left. Can they do it? Like, so it, it, it's, so I think it's cool because inevitably 20 out of 30 teams get a, a taste of the playoffs in some fashion. Right. Right. So only 10 teams are left out. More fans can get involved in it. I, I, as I said, I feel bad for the seventh and eighth teams, but I don't think this thing's going away. Yeah. It's, it's I don't better, I'll say this. The one saving grace, which I think baseball should take from it, it does, like to me, 
the way baseball should do it, the higher seed team, if they lose, they should get another chance to play. Mm-hmm. And that's the one protective measure that I do like, that if you are seven or eight and you lose that game, you get to play another game. Yeah. No, I agree. Right. That's kind of the, I guess, the benefit of being but, seven. But eight. I like actually think it should be not just seven and eight play. It should be maybe seven and ten play. And ten got to beat them twice, right? Or yeah. uh, nine has to be eight twice. Yeah. There's stuff they can work around it, but yeah. it, it definitely seems like it's a start, and, and we'll see how it no, plays out I ain't going nowhere. It ain't going nowhere. I agree <laughs> with you there. And you're not going anywhere either, Mark. I really appreciate the time today. I uh, appreciate you giving us a little bit behind the curtain on CJ and what he brings to the Pelicans. We'll hope to see you down here in New Orleans soon, and, and uh, all the best. Well, my candy doesn't come. I, I expect a, a, a drive through Daiquiri gift certificate, man. You got it. That's easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right, brother. Mark, I appreciate the time. Thanks. All right, take care. There he goes, Mark Spears, senior NBA writer for ESPN's The Undefeated. Appreciate the time on this Monday. A very important rest of the homestand for New Orleans. Three games and four nights before the All-Star break. It starts tonight with the Toronto Raptors at 7 p.m., then a tough back-to-back. They'll take on the Grizzlies tomorrow night inside the Smoothie King Center and come celebrate Mardi Gras night with us on Thursday night at 7 p.m. First 5,000 fans in attendance will receive a New Orleans Mardi Gras shirt courtesy of Prime Block against the Dallas Mavericks once again. So, again, make sure you come out. Maybe not just one game, maybe two, maybe three. Hopefully root on this team and, and maybe they can get three wins here before the All-Star break. After the All-Star break, I believe just 23 games to go. So it's coming fast and furious. We'll see if the Pelicans get back in the 10th spot. They're now a half game back of Portland after the loss on Saturday night. Portland did come back and beat the New York Knicks. Thanks for nothing, New York. But all these teams are in action tonight, and we'll see if the Pelicans get back up there as they welcome in the Toronto Raptors. We'll have one more podcast for you this week. That's on Wednesday. Then we'll take a little bit of an all-star break. We'll make sure we have a good one for you as we head into all-star weekend. You'll have two participants from New Orleans, Herbert Jones in the Rising Stars Challenge, and then you have CJ McCollum in the three-point contest. Until Wednesday, for Mark Spears, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.